Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridon. This is the first part of a new series I've entitled The Seven Thunders of Millennial Dawn, named after the 1928 booklet of the same name by writer Bertram Henry Shaddock. Shaddock was an American author who was born in 1869 and died in 1950. After a born-again experience when he was 18, he joined the Salvation Army and later became a Methodist minister. In 1928, Shaddock published The Seven Thunders of Millennial Dawn, the first written expose of the Watchtower to ever utilise their own writings. Shaddock had offered to publicly debate with Watchtower's foremost proponents, but was met with ludicrous terms of acceptance, which required him to produce a $500 bond, which he would forego should he use any of the Bible students' literature against them. He declined the terms, and the Seven Thunders of Millennial Dawn was his written response. The cover of the booklet carries the title... The Seven Thunders of Millennial Dawn, a reference to the seven volumes of the Millennial Dawn series of books by Charles Taze Russell, later renamed Studies in the Scriptures. It's illustrated by seven bolts of lightning on the front cover, and for some reason I'm unsure of at the moment, a burning candle. On the inside cover, there is a hand-drawn illustration of Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Franklin Rutherford in what appears to be a circus ring with a number of ponies jumping through hoops that they are holding. The ponies are each labelled with a date, three of which are 1914, 1918 and 1925. Russell is holding a sign that reads Plan of the Ages, a reference to his first Millennial Dawn volume, The Divine Plan of the Ages, and Rutherford is holding a sign that reads The World Has Ended. Russell, remember, had prophesied that Satan's world would end in 1914. When it didn't, his successor Rutherford promoted the idea that it had ended, but in a legal sense. The illustration carries the heading Repudiated in large, bold capital letters and cites Deuteronomy 18 verse 22. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. To the right of the illustration, there is a box containing the following question. After Russell and Rutherford both failed to make the years go through their hoop, a reference to the dated ponies there, why does the show keep advertising them? Why indeed? The next page carries an introduction explaining the purpose of the booklet. Let me just read some of that to you. 
It is not my purpose to fling words at Russellism. What I hope to do is to call back some of its own words that it would like to forget and let it tell its own blunders. I have no quarrel with the credulous followers of Mr. Russell. They have denied so many of my statements that I have reason to believe they are really not well informed about their own history as a cult. Interesting that Shaddock calls it Russellism there. The early Bible students, of course, were often referred to as Russellites after Charles Taze Russell, much as Millerites were named after their founder, William Miller. Shaddock declares at the outset that he is going to call back some of its own words that it would like to forget and let it tell its own blunders, much as ones like myself, Larchwood, JW Facts and others do today. One of the most effective ways to highlight error in Jehovah's Witnesses is simply to read the literature they have produced over their 140-something year history, going way back to Russell. It becomes very obvious very quickly that they have predicted, prophesied so many things that have failed to come true so that anything Watchtower proclaims as the truth today should really be taken with a pinch of salt. It wouldn't be so bad if over time they'd moved away from relying so much on dates, but they haven't. The governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses still clings desperately to 1914 as the start of Jesus' presence and the beginning of the last days, even though it's become very clear that this date has no scriptural relevance. Why? Why do they cling to this date? Because they've got so much invested in it, uh, not least of all their supposed appointment by Jesus as the faithful and discreet slave a few years later in 1919. Will they ever move away from 1914? Possibly, I think at some point, they will have to. It's already been 107 years since 1914, and there's really only so long you can keep claiming the world has ended, in a legal sense or otherwise, before it becomes apparent that it hasn't. Will they drop 1919? I think that's more difficult. They've invested a lot in that particular pony. The problem is Matthew 24.45, which discusses the faithful and discreet slave, is clearly linked to Jesus' presence. So it would be really tricky to drop 1914 without it somehow affecting the 1919 date also. The governing body have really backed themselves into a corner and are depending on the end coming very soon now. Otherwise, their whole doctrinal structure is going to collapse. I believe it's already started crumbling. David Splain's attempt at convincing his audience that the generation that will not pass away is somehow an overlapping generation was very poor and certainly not a wise 
or discreet move. Indirectly, he set an end time date of somewhere I calculated between 2034 and 2074. Beyond that, the doctrine falls flat. Obviously, he and his fellow governing body members will be long gone by 2074, so it won't be a personal problem for them. But certainly the cracks will begin to show if they haven't been raptured to heaven by 2034. Notice that B.H. Shaddock refers to the Bible students as a cult. When he wrote this book in 1928, there had already been a number of failed predictions. 1914 obviously hadn't resulted in the end of Satan's world, despite Rutherford's ridiculous claim that it had ended legally. The saints hadn't been raptured to heaven in 1918, as Russell had prophesied. And the biggest blunder of all, the faithful worthies, the likes of Abraham, Enoch, Moses and others, hadn't been raised from the dead, as promised. By 1928, Rutherford had to downplay the failure of his 1925 prediction, and Shaddock wasn't having any of that. He wanted people to know that Russell and Rutherford were false prophets and that their movement was a cult. I find it amazing how little has changed. Here we are almost a 100 years later and we're still having to point out the failure of Watchtower to predict anything with accuracy. Their prophecies have failed time and time again and undoubtedly will continue to fail while ever they exist as a cult. Shaddock continues... I have made something of a study of cults and isms and my conviction is that God compels every outstanding heresy to carry exposed threads that will ravel it out for prayerfully thoughtful people. Now, whether you believe in God or not, cults and isms, as Shaddock calls them, Russellism, Millerism, do over time tend to unravel. Some take longer than others. I'm often surprised how long Jehovah's Witnesses have managed to keep hobbling along. By 1845, most Millerites had abandoned their failed expectations, some joining the Adventist church, which Miller helped to establish. But the Bible students, under the watch of J.F. Rutherford, morphed into the religion we know today as Jehovah's Witnesses with some 8 million members worldwide. They would claim this demonstrates God's blessing, but as Deuteronomy 18 verse 22 shows, God is never behind false prophecies. And that is what Jehovah's Witnesses as an organisation is based on. 1914 and 1919 are still its kingpins and without them the whole thing just falls apart. I really do believe Jehovah's Witnesses are on borrowed time. If they are to continue for another 40 or 50 years, the governing body will need to find a way to drop 1914 and 1919 while somehow retaining their authority over the organisation 
as the faithful and discreet slave. I think the way to do this would be to publish New Light, saying that Jesus' presence is a future event. If they did that, they could perhaps jettison 1914 and then push all of the associated events, such as the throwing down of Satan to the earth, the start of the last days and the resurrection of the anointed, to some unknown future time. They could still claim they were, as Jeffrey Jackson said, trying to fill the role of the slave, but just say they were waiting for Jesus' future presence to confirm their faithfulness and discreetness. It's certainly doable with a bit of jiggery-pokery, and it's not without precedent. However they approach things, they will need to rely on the gullibility of Jehovah's Witnesses as individuals. As Shaddock noted next in the Seven Thunders, Man is prone to gullibility, else our Lord would not have said, Take heed that ye not be deceived. I have seen men stand in line waiting to feed money into a gambling device that was set against them. I've known a pretty woman on trial for the murder of her husband to employ a secretary to answer proposals of marriage. You can find devotees following man-made theories on every level, from abysmal folly to sublime conceit, and it does not occur to them that by some possibility they might be misled. Without realising it, Jehovah's Witnesses are, as Shaddock says, feeding money into a gambling device. Their actual money, but also their time, their lives, hoping, just hoping, that they've backed the right pony. It really does sadden me when I think of the thousands, millions of Jehovah's Witnesses that have spent their entire lives believing that the end will come in their lifetime. Every witness that has ever lived and died has died without seeing the prophecies of Watchtower come true. And the sad fact is, every witness that will ever die will also die disappointed. They've been fed a lie and they continue to believe it because it gives them hope. I've heard witnesses say even if it was all a lie, they would still believe it because they think it makes for a better life. A life of hope and one of morality, friendships, a relationship with God and so on. But really what value is hope if it's false? How moral is a person if it takes being in a cult for them to do the right thing? The love and friendships that seem to exist within a cult are sadly conditional. You only realise this if you leave. And do Jehovah's Witnesses really have a relationship with God? I would say no, their relationship is with the organisation and with the governing body. You see, organisation and governing body are now synonymous with Jehovah or God. As Shaddock pointed out, man is prone to gullibility, and that, I believe, is the case with Jehovah's Witnesses. They are so indoctrinated, brainwashed, 
that it does not occur to them that by some possibility they might be misled. The Seven Thunders continues, If the Russell Rutherford guesses had been the vagaries of some old settler who predicted events by goosebones, black cats, dog howling or the tilt of a new moon, we might dismiss them with a smile. But these men presumed to unscare sin lovers who feared to meet an offended God and their promises persisted when their prophecies failed. Now that's an interesting observation, isn't it? Their promises persisted when their prophecies failed. That was certainly the case with the prediction that the faithful worthies would return from the dead in 1925. When they failed to appear, Watchtower kept peddling the promise that they would show up at any moment, even building a mansion for them to live in in 1929. They stopped giving a date for the resurrection, but they continued to say that it would happen very soon. This is so similar to what Watchtower is doing now. On JW Broadcasting, we are continually told that we are at the threshold of the new world and that Armageddon is coming soon. But there's no basis for such a claim. As we've seen, their overlapping generation teaching has pushed the end off to, at the furthest point, 2074, another 53 years from now. Yet they continue to claim they don't know when the end is coming. It really is all wishful thinking, and Jehovah's Witnesses, unfortunately, buy into this. Next, Shaddock uses an illustration. This is really good, actually. In a dim light, you can frighten people by putting a time fuse in a green pumpkin, but the hoax becomes apparent when the explosion of the improvised bomb is long overdue. My contention is that someone put new fuses into the pumpkins. Now, I have no doubt that many people have occasion to fear the wrath of God, but the pity is that fleeing from a false alarm, they have taken refuge in the shadow of a slumbering volcano. So what's he saying? You can make a pumpkin look like a bomb. I don't know why you would do that, but okay, People would be expecting the bomb to go off, but it wouldn't because it's a pumpkin. Eventually, someone surely would say it's not going to explode because, hey, look, it's a pumpkin. It's never going to happen. And that's the case with Watchtower predictions. For years, they've frightened people into joining their cult with what is essentially an Armageddon bomb. Join us or you will die at Armageddon. Actually, Russell's view on Armageddon was somewhat different to Rutherford's. Russell saw Armageddon as more of a decline in human society, followed by a period of restitution. It was Rutherford who came up with the idea that Armageddon was a literal war of God against the wicked. And as time progressed, that became the current view that only Jehovah's Witnesses are going to survive the day of God's wrath. But it's a pumpkin bomb. It's never going to happen. Sure, humanity may come to an end in some disastrous way, nuclear holocaust, an asteroid strike, climate change, 
But the idea that God is going to destroy humanity, in my opinion, is simply false. One may point to Revelation as proof that Armageddon is coming, but Revelation is so open to interpretation. Personally, I find it adds little or nothing to my spirituality. Sadly, those that buy into the Armageddon pumpkin bomb story end up joining cults, doomsday cults, like Jehovah's Witnesses, which then control every single aspect of their lives. And even ones that leave the cult years afterwards continue to worry about dying at Armageddon. Jehovah's Witnesses proudly claim that they don't use hell to frighten people into serving God. But what they do do, graphic depictions of the ground opening up and fire from heaven destroying non-witnesses at Armageddon, even in publications designed for children, is really no different. It's scaremongering. Shaddock notes, Let me assure the reader that I have no objection to the resurrection of the dead and the translation of the saints before the end of 1914 or any other year that pleases God. But the menace of these prophecies was that they were used to frighten or bribe people into accepting soul-deceiving heresies. Really, nothing has changed. A Jehovah's Witness calling at your door will initially tell you about the good news, how God has promised a paradise where you can live forever with no sickness, a nice house, loads of fruit, pandas everywhere. They tell you that wickedness is coming to an end. It all sounds good, but it's not long before they're telling you that Armageddon is coming and that as a non-Jehovah's Witness, you are the wicked. If you don't join their cult, you're going to die. Now, I was born in, so I don't really know whether it's the promise of paradise or the threat of Armageddon that convinces people on the outside to join the cult. Maybe it's the love bombing, a feeling of belonging. What I do know as a third generation born in When I reached 16 years of age, there was this kind of unspoken expectation that I should get baptised as a witness. My mum explained it to me that I could either get baptised, serve Jehovah and live in paradise, or by default be a part of Satan's world, serving the devil and die at Armageddon. It was very black and white thinking. That combination of, ooh, paradise and not being killed, along with the feeling of wanting to belong, to be approved and accepted by my friends and family, that's kind of what did it for me. Did I believe in God? Yes, I think I did. And I wanted to do the right thing. I didn't really take notice of the veiled threats at the time. Of course, I grew up with the expectation that the generation that saw the events of 1914 would still be alive to see Armageddon. That failed miserably. Sometimes I wish I could go back in time and apologise to the people I preached to. They were right. I was wrong. Returning to his pumpkin bomb illustration, Shaddock continues... When the 1914 bomb failed to explode, Mr. Russell warped some words of the language to fit the failure. No surprise there. 
In the foreword of volume two, dated 1916, he explained that the Gentile times chronologically ended in 1914. Later, Mr. Rutherford employed another verbal subterfuge by saying the old world legally ended in 1914. Why not go further and say that Abraham chronologically raised from the dead and the saints were legally translated in 1914? Chronologically ended and legally ended. It really doesn't mean much, does it? I suppose you could argue that the nations from 1914 no longer had any legal claim to rulership over the earth because Jesus was supposedly now enthroned as king. But even that event shifted around. In the 1911 book, The Time is at Hand, page 239, it was claimed that the year AD 1878 clearly marked the time for the assuming of Jesus' power as King of Kings. It was only changed to 1914 in 1920. So when did the world end? 1878 or 1914? And why, over a hundred years later, is the world still here? Shaddock was right. Way back then, all the dates, all the expectations were just dud bombs, not even bombs, pumpkins, that failed to go off. But Watchtower has, over the years, continued to trot out new ponies to keep the show on the road. Surely, surely at some point, this nonsense has to stop. People can't really be this gullible, can they? Maybe they can, I don't know. Shaddock next draws attention to the book The Harp of God, written by Rutherford in 1921. He says, apparently, Mr. Rutherford is not wholly satisfied with these efforts to dodge, for he says in his Harp book, page 250, why should we quibble now about dates? Since his own predictions for 1925 have failed... I have no doubt he would like very much to unquibble a number of dates. I find that amazing. Rutherford and Russell before him drew so much attention to their dates. But when they failed to come true, it was just a case of, oh, don't worry, it wasn't that big a deal. But to the people joining the cult, giving their time their entire lives to Watchtower to say, why should we quibble now about dates? That's just deplorable. People bought into a promise. That promise didn't come true, but there was never an apology. They never held their hands up and said, we got it wrong. Instead, they phrased things in such a way that just downplayed the error. Even today, Watchtower says we were just eager to see the end or they claim a clarification of beliefs. It's not clarification. It's substitution of one erroneous teaching for a completely different teaching. And so on and on it continues and people are still buying into it. 
Shaddock concludes his introduction to the Seven Thunders of Millennial Dawn with this observation. Of Samuel, the word says, Jehovah did let none of his words fall to the ground, but Mr. Russell has littered the ground with fallen words and holds the record for the most words and the fewest fulfilments. I propose that Watchtower as an organisation, has gone on to break Russell's record. The continual promises of being on the threshold of the new world throughout the 1930s, 1940s and 1950s all failed. As the 1960s progressed, Watchtower hyped up anticipation for 1975 to see the start of the thousand-year reign of Christ. That failed. Then in 1989, the Watchtower January the 1st predicted that the preaching work would be completed in our 20th century. In later bound volumes, the text of that article was amended to state that the preaching work would be completed in our day. Well, we are now 21 years into the 21st century, 32 more years after those predictions, and Watchtower is still trying to make ponies jump through their hoops in what is really just a religious circus. As Shaddock asked way back in 1928, why does the show keep advertising the dates? Because it's a cult. And that's how cults work. That's all for part one of the Seven Thunders of Millennial Dawn. Thank you for listening. Join me again next time.